Welcome back to the new episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive. Good evening, Alison. Good evening, Ben. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Alison. Why we say that might become apparent later on. <laughs> if it strikes you as a bit weird, but if you've watched this week's episode, you'll understand. Yay! Now, Sado uh, uh, Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive is a watch-along, listen-along podcast. You can watch the latest episode of The Good Life on BritBox or on Daily Motion. And if you're not sure where to find it, look us up on Twitter or Facebook. And then you can listen to us talk about it afterwards. That's the general crux of what we do. And hopefully you know what you're doing by now, because we're already um, five episodes into Series 3. Yeah, if you haven't grasped the concept and you've listened to 20-odd episodes... (laughs) Seek help, because you may be developmentally challenged. <laughs> I think you, 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 we think you know what you're doing now. We'd like to hope so. Um, so yes, um, this week's episode is the classic episode, the Windbreak War. I think is, is everyone waiting for this one? Do you think? I have been. I bet you have. Yeah, I love this one. Mm. Although, um, as I said shortly before we started recording, it's like twenty minutes of setup. For 10 minutes payoff, isn't it? Yeah. 10 minutes brilliant payoff at the there end, really. There is a really. big payoff, yeah. But before we get started, um, we usually play a game or discuss something. Have you got something this week, Al? I've got a blankety blank. Oh, great excuse to bust out the theme tune. Good, Good life, blankety blank, blankety blank. Good life, blankety blank, blankety blank. Good life, blankety blank, blankety blank, blankety blank. Blankety blank! Blankety blank. So I've got three um, blankety blanks. I've got three blanks. Three blanketies, I don't know. What did we decide that they called it in America? Uh, um, I can't remember what we said. Fill in the blank, fill in the blank. <laughs> I don't know. They have to make it obvious for their like dumbed-down hillbilly <laughs> audience, don't they? Sorry, Americans. What word is missing? What word is missing? <laughs> so I've got three... <laughs> Um, this week, um, yeah. Did we have five last week? And you got you, yeah, you did quite well last week, didn't you? You got out of a possible fifteen. I think you got about half, which is which was which was good because they were quite tough. I don't think these are, are any easier. Um, but let's mm. see how you go on. Right, okie dokie. I've got. Here's the first one. Okay, and do you want to know who's speaking, or do you want to have a guess at who's speaking? Well, there's two points on offer, isn't there? If I right. get who's saying it and I get the blanks okay. as well. Right, I'll okay. give it to you blind then. Um, we don't That want... sounds like Jim Bowen thing. <laughs> I'll give it to you blind. What? Are you ready, son? Are you I'm ready? Wearing, I'm wearing Farrah's. I'm not, I'm not really. <laughs> right. Okay. We don't want the blanks from blank pinching our design. <sighs> so that's got to be a JJM thing, hasn't it? Isn't it? No? We don't want the blanks from blank pinching our design. I was thinking episode one when it, uh, they were still working at JJM. With the plastic hippo? Yeah, but it's not no. that, is it? I can tell not by your face. plastic hippo. Nope. The blanks from blank. It's not going to be bastards, is it? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> On this occasion, no. Um, design. What do they des- What do they design in The Good Life? trying to think of past episodes what we've covered mm. it sounds like a tom thing to say one point well i think that's probably the only point i'll get on this one um unless you want to give me a little clue 
it's in a very recent episode that we've we've done. Um, is it about his car then? It's it's to do with a, a, a vehicle. Is it to do with his rotary cultivator? It's to do with the thing. rotary cultivator. We don't want the blanks from blank pinching our design. Right, the boffins from Porsche. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, do you know what? You're not far off. You're on. You're on the right lines. Okay. I can't. I can't give you a point because the both right. wrong. Um, yeah, fair enough. That's that seems like a fair um, but, conclusion. Um, it's the spies from Ferrari. Oh, so, so close, you wasn't I? Off. Yeah, but you got one point for Tom. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, okay. Here's the next one. You've got away with goats. I've got away with blank blanks. <laughs> now, so this could be one of the goods talking to the other good, or it could be Jerry. I think it's Jerry saying, you've got away with goats and I've got away with, like, negotiating or it's, salespeople. It's away as in two words, at way, not not as in getting away with something. You've got a, no. you've got a, like a knack. Is it not from his episode where he was negotiating with the journalist and they, they were nearly in the Observer? No. No. All right. I'm going to sort of, again, change my answer on the fly and not say Jerry based on your face. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to go with Tom again. Tom, one point. And he said it to Barbara, you've got away with goats and I've got away with being a prick. No, I don't know. On this occasion, that's wrong. The answer is teapots. Teapots. Still none the wise. I don't remember that quote. It was the day... What did he mean? The day peace broke out, um, and it was to do with... I think, was he mended a teapot? Right. Or is it it when they they were doing the pottery and he... Well, I did wonder if it was a pottery thing. When when I said Tom, I thought, well... But then, yeah, I couldn't think what it might have been. But never mind, I got the right person again by semi-cheating and reading your face. You've not got the greatest know, poker face I've, I've ever I've seen. I've not got a good poker face, no. Absolutely Jim not. Bowen and Les I've Dawson would have done that. I've got a good Jim Bowen face. <laughs> <laughs> There's a backhanded, backhanded compliment. Okay, do you want number three? Yes, please. Okay. Don't try to butter me up with blank blanks. Don't try to butter me up with. I feel like I should know this one. Don't try to butter me up with blank blanks. I'm going to go with Hello Margos. Oh. You've got a point for, for Margot. What, she said it? She said it. Oh, no, I was thinking someone said it to Margot, so oh, I don't no. really think I get... Yeah. No, no, it was Margot that said it. Um, don't try to butter me up with fresh eggs. Um, it was just after that horrible um, the zoom on the um, scarecrow wearing her dress. And mm. she's, she's, she's having a go at Tom over the fence, and he tries to give her a fresh egg to keep her sweet. Not one of those gigantic eggs? Not one of the, the gigantic plant. eggs, no. No. Anyway, after last week, we should stay away from eggs. I think. <laughs> yeah. No more. Yeah. No eggs. So you've um, you you got three. 
Um, and I'll give you the last one because you said Marco, even though. You, oh, you that's very kind of you. Yes. I don't think I was very good, but um. So three out of nine. Appreciate your charity. It's all right. I'm not doing wonderful at it, am I? It's quite hard. It is hard, yeah. I would set you one, but I think I've already embarrassed you enough with my quiz questions. I think <laughs> you should stay. Just you fail. St- Are you going to stay as the blanksy blank? Do you prefer to be Les Dawson or Terry Wogan? If I had to choose, um, I think Les Dawson. Yeah, I do as well. I tweeted out a picture of him recently looking like a young Neville Southall. Oh, has he ever had, did he ever have like hair? Was it always a big comb over? Yeah, he did. He had quite lush, quite lush hair in this did picture. It? it was a picture of him playing the piano in Paris as a young man. Oh, and he and he looked just like a young Neville Southall. Okay, sort of heavy set, but like little tash and yeah. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have picked it as Les Dennis if you'd really? just seen it blind. Not yeah. Les Dennis. Do you mean Les? No, I'm sorry. Les Dawson, <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't have picked it as Les Dennis because it wasn't Les Dennis. <laughs> He was sat in a Paris bar at the piano singing, I don't really know. <laughs> ah, it's easy to get your leses mixed up, isn't it? Oh, Christ, I'm going down another rabbit hole now. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> well, shall we get stuck into this Let's episode, The Windbreak War? Yes. Good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. We open in this episode with the goods working away in their garden, which, if we're to believe previous episodes, is about an 18-hour day for them anyway, isn't it? So no wonder. Yeah. And Barbara's looking particularly lovely, I thought, at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> I don't know I don't know if you caught just her eye makeup, maybe, or something. She just looked sort of radiant. Aww. So I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> No, I wasn't. I was just admiring her in a, in a wholesome way. And um, the good spot, um, a statue being sort of carried about and a lot of kerfuffle over the fence, don't they? Yes, so they have a real good gawp, don't they, at what's going on? Yes, the total nosy parkers looking over the mm. fence. And there's a statue which Tom likens to Ackerbilk. I had to look up who Ackerbilk was. <laughs> so did I. We're, we're I too young sure. for Ackerbilk references, aren't we? I, it went straight over my head. But he's a British um, clarinetist. Yes, and I didn't even know clarinetist was a word. It sounds like a made-up word. Like clarinet player should be the word or something. Yes, yeah. Um, However, so we can't comment on the statue's likeness to Ackerbilk because we don't know Ackerbilk. No idea. If you know Ackerbilk and you think it looks like Ackerbilk, tweet us saying, that statue looked like (laughs) Ackerbilk. But they're being proper nosy parkers and they're sort of asking the the, um, handyman next door with a flat cap on, Mr. Bailey, oh. what he's doing. Is that a sigh because you don't like Mr. Bailey? Mr. Bailey just annoyed me, um, but in a way that those the people that sort of assume that when you talk about other people or about places and things that, that you immediately know what they're talking about. Because he started talking about obs, his, yeah. his gaffer. Yeah. And it's like, he had a chip, didn't he? He had a chip oh, on his shoulder and he yeah. wanted to vent. He did. So, yeah, he gets on his soapbox, starts moaning about his boss, Obbs. He's got this sort of very old-school London accent, I thought. Yeah. Um, he was almost, almost already out of its time in 1977, I thought. Yeah. And, and the little tash on him, it was almost like Terry Thomas, who we've discussed before. 
got a lot of Terry Thomas, haven't we? We've got a lot out of him. Anyway, eventually, this, this fella, Mr. Bailey, confesses that he is measuring for a windbreak. Which, it, it, the goods are, uh, the, the cross about it straight away, aren't they? About this windbreak. Yeah, yeah. Because they realise, don't they, that it's going to impact on their mm. fruit growth. It'll block the sunshine. Yes. But Tom, Tom has a plan. He says he's going to turn on the old charm with Margot. Yeah. And I feared for him at that point. <laughs> but we, we cut to Margot sat in the goods lounge. She's clearly been invited round. And she's clearly immediately sort of on edge thinking, what does Tom want? Because he's doing that weird, creepy leering yeah, he's obviously after something um, or to get to do something. And she's, she's quite wise to him now, I think. She's quite wise to when he turns on the charms. But she's, she covers up the, her knee. She pulls her skirt <laughs> down and covers up her knee as if, like, he's leering at me. Mm. There's always that little sort of undertone of, why is he why is he staring at me like that? Yeah. He, does, he goes about it in a really odd way, doesn't he? he yeah. Can't imagine neighbours do doing that. It's, yeah. I mean, really, she should have been covering her neck because, as we discover later, I know. believes that yeah. she's got a sexy neck. Nothing to do with the legs. So she demands to know what they want, and um, Barbara fesses up about the windbreak and how it's going to impact their growth and explains the situation. And um, despite some initial indignation, Barbara explains the situation fully, and Tom chirps in with a, hey, Margot, hey, 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 which I thought was quite, quite weird. <laughs> And, you know, because she's a reasonable person, um, when things are explained to her, she quite quickly said, oh, okay then. She, she is, isn't she? She's, she's um, very understanding and happy to accommodate. She's very accommodating, like you say, mm. when, when she knows what's what um, and, and isn't having sort of the, the wool pulled over her eyes. She's very open to um, doing the right thing by people. And I think she just wanted to move on so she could show off about her arbour. The she's arbor, building. yes. The temple dedicated to music for rehearsal in the garden. For, for the music society, which she is yeah. newly president of. Um, and the goods predictably just take the piss. I know. I felt really, I felt really sorry for, for, for Margot because she's, she's so excited and wanted to tell them all about it. And they were, they were just really... Yeah, ev- it. even allowing for the fact that... I mean, the theme of this episode is that Margot doesn't have much of a sense of humour, but even mm. allowing for that... With people who do have a sense of humour, sometimes you just get fed up of people constantly taking the piss out of things that are important to you. Yes. If she, you know, just just back off for a bit, Tom and Barbara, particularly Tom. Mm. And in the end, she just storms out, doesn't she? She, she does. um, sort of foreshadowing what what the episode's really about. Margot doesn't see the funny side, and she storms out and she screams, "Shut up!" at Tom, who just he's not even bothered that he's upset his friend. He's just cackling. Yeah. Oh, my God. I've said it before. I've said it again. Prick. <laughs> this is a prime example of, of that kind of behaviour, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, no more needs to be said about Tom. I've, no. I've covered it all already. That's it. That's <laughs> I've received a little backlash on it social does get media worse, for it. Tom does get worse in this episode, though. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. I'm not done with him. I know. I'm far know. from done with the fucker. I'm, ju- I'm just waiting. It's... um. It does get worse. <laughs> but back next door, we see uh, Mr. Bailey. He's trying to put the wind break up, and he's essentially he's bullying his YTS boy at this point, isn't he? He is. Calls him a skiver. When he, he calls him unskilled labour who, who shouldn't be doing 
part of the job anyway. And then when he doesn't join in to help out, he calls him a skiver. Yeah, well, he says that the YTS boy isn't old enough for erections. <laughs> I know. Nobody laughed. I laughed. No one laughed at that in the I audience. Had a, I had a little chuckle at it. <laughs> but I think at this point, as an audience, where we, we expect that the, um, the windbreak is going up in the right place at Margot's behest that she yes. would have told um, Mr. Bailey to put it up elsewhere. Of course. But then, of course, we see Tom opening his curtains and he sees it um, fully erect where Margot agreed not to erect it. How many times am I going to say erect it? <laughs> you know, this this podcast is sponsored by Pele. <laughs> um, and what does what does Tom say when he sees it? The petty-minded bitch. Yeah. And it does one of them horrible swooping zooms. I knew you'd say that, yeah. And a, and a brass like, Yeah, swooping zooms, scary music, and Tom calls her a petty-minded bitch. And Barbara says that she's spiteful. The petty-minded bitch. <laughs> Did you get a bit of PTSD with the brass tone and the swoop? Oh, I didn't like it. Yeah, it's um, it's one of my least favourite things about 1970s sitcoms. It's funny, isn't it, that a lot of people's things that will trigger them are like horror movie tropes, and yours is <laughs> yours is a swoop and a brass tone. <laughs> Yeah, it, but I think I think it is the um, the nineteen seventies public um, the public information films, which use that they use that sort of thing a lot. Yeah, we discussed that, don't we, in a press episode? There's some really grim scenes, and they use it, and it just makes you go, especially because it's rooted in our childhoods. Yeah, so I don't go near um, sinking sand. I don't go near electricity substations. I don't go near pylons. You always tell your mum when you're going out. I do. Don't go near railway lines. Near my house, you've got to cross a railway line on foot and it just goes against everything that I was taught. Yeah. It, it just feels very weird. So you, you don't sit down in between the sleepers, though, and play with your fire engine, do you? Not anymore, at all. <laughs> Good on you. Glad to hear it. <laughs> Ooh, I, I like, like Richard Bryers. I like Richard Bryers. I like Richard Bryers. I like Richard Bryers. So the goods um, at this point, they storm around and accost poor Jerry, don't they, about this windbreak situation. Yeah. Oh. And, it's got me back she... up this episode. I feel I feel quite cross. With the goods? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like trigger happy, aren't they? They're like, mm. right. They burst yeah. around. And Jerry, true to form, he just couldn't care less, could he? He just wants to go to work. Yeah. However... Whilst they're ranting and raving, he gives as good as he gets. I like Jerry in this episode. I do, I do. I liked, I liked the when he when he sticks up for his wife. I like that. Hmm. And he also calls out the, uh, Tom and Barbara, where he says, um, "That's the cornerstone of your whole egocentric philosophy these days. The goods are in their heaven, so all is right with the world." Exactly. He does call them out. Yeah. It's a it's a more eloquent way of saying, "Fuck off, Tom and Barbara. Mm. You're being a pair of twats." Which is pretty much how I would have handled it because I'm not as um, eloquent as Jerry. I think he calls them stormtroopers as well, which did tickle me, um, and and really did sort of lay it on the line that that this thing is something that Margot's bought. Uh, she hmm. she wanted it, she's paid for it, and it's her garden, so she can do what she wants. Even if it does block your fruit, she can do what she wants with it. Yeah. Well, he laid out the three fundamentals, didn't he, of the yes. matter, which was, you know, I can't remember exactly what they were, but they were all basically about Margot can do what she wants. Yeah. But then, 
the three fundamentals ended up as a list of five, at the end of which yeah. he seemed to be on the verge of tears as he left. <laughs> Poor yeah. Jerry. But he leaves, just leaving the goods still in his house. They do that a lot, don't they, where they just disappear and yeah, you'd show them out, wouldn't you? You'd tell them to, to you know, get out before going to work. It's a sitcom trope. Mm. I, um, basically, it's sort of like, this is a set, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Yeah, kind of thing. Just to, just to, um, one point as well, Ben. Um, when Jerry had gone through all his three fundamentals, which ended up being five, um, the audience clapped um, afterwards. So we're obviously in agreement. So I think I think they they in the seventies were on our wavelength here. That they I think they tend to agree. And I think they're also just possibly just clapping his performance there yes, and the fact that Jerry Jerry as a character standing up for himself is nice to see because a lot of the time he's henpecked. Yes. One last thing to point out is that when you say he mentioned the stormtroopers, mm. he would have been citing the Nazi stormtroopers, not the um, Star not Wars stormtroopers. Not the Star Wars ones. There wouldn't have been a thing, of course. Yeah. Oh, mm. oh, that that puts a whole different sheen on it. Were you thinking he was saying they were coming round in their in their white <laughs> uniforms? <laughs> that, yeah. Pew 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 pew. <laughs> but yeah, I I had yeah. The um, Star Wars stormtrooper. No, it's a bit more political than that. I think. Oh, I think he's saying he's like the um, the enforcers in in um, pre-war Germany. Good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. The goods in the next scene, they've decided to move their fruit. Tom is trying for the moral high ground here due to his insufferable pride, I think, and declares himself having completed the work. He declares that he and Barbara are on a higher spiritual plane than the petty Ledbetters. Yes. But he's being petty as well, of course, is the Absolutely, subtext. Absolutely, of course he is. And as the goods retire for a nap, almost immediately Margot reappears in the adjacent garden and summons Mr Bailey into her drawing room. Side note, I don't know what a drawing room is. I know I should. I think, is the drawing the drawing room, um, would that have been... It's not your front room. Mm. Um, so it wouldn't be like your lounge. Um, and it wouldn't have been. I'm thinking like I'm just thinking of sort of TV shows where they're like big grand houses. So it's yeah. where you would do perhaps like you're entertaining. So like like a living room, but not like a, a slouching on the couch watching TV living room. It would have been like a more proper. It wasn't a drawing room that she invited him into, though, was it? She was just being grandiose. She was. It was just a front room, wasn't it? I thought so. And she she puts down some paper for him to stand on when he comes into the house, so as not <laughs> yeah. to dirty it. Yeah. She's done that before, hasn't she, for Tom and Barbara? Yeah. Uh, done it on a, yeah, on did, a... you put, did she not put a magazine on, this, on the settee once when Barbara came round? Yes, that's right, yeah. Oh. And then poor Mr Bailey, um, he is totally um, humiliated by, by Margot, who's in, in her pomp here, isn't she? Oh, doing her... big time. Yeah, he, does, he gets it here. He gets it in the neck. And of course, the reason that the windbreak has been erected in the wrong places that he's missed a note that Bob, uh, that Margot has left for him, which had NB written on it, which is Latin for Nota Bene. Bailey thought it was addressed to somebody <laughs> else because his na- his initials aren't NB. His name's Arthur. That did make me laugh. So, he, yeah, he ignored it. He ignored it because he thought, that's obviously not for me. Well, he's from Balham, not from Latin land. <laughs> so, so he doesn't speak Latin. Yes. So, um... She just humiliates him. In fact, she even calls him a stupid man, which is going a bit far. Yeah. 
She just bullies him into moving the windbreak, and really, she should have made sure he knew. Yeah. He does call her Lady Faceache, though. I like that. Yeah. Lady Faceache wants her windbreak moved. <laughs> um, and then we see the windbreak has been moved in the next scene. And um, Mr. Bailey's like, are you sure this is the right place? <laughs> He's like, sort of like giving it the sass to Margot. And then as she walks off, he mouths something at her, but I've no idea what he mouths oh, at her. Oh, I don't Did know. You... Oh. He just sort of mouths a obscenity and the audience oh, okay. laugh. And I'm thinking, what? what is he actually, are we supposed to be able to lip read that? Mm. He does it again uh, shortly afterwards with Jerry because as soon as Margot's out of shot, Jerry comes in. Yeah, he gets aggro with poor Mr. Bailey and goes inside to check with Margot. And then Mr. Bailey's like, <laughs> at him as well, but we can't. Oh, do you think it's just like, just general, like, dastardly and mutley? Like, mutley kind of. Yeah, that sort of stuff. Just like that. <laughs> yep, I do a good Muttley, don't I? You do, I like that. I had, um, did, actually, funny you should mention Muttley, Dick Dastardly mm. was based on Terry Thomas. What is this? This man is... Yep, he's everywhere, isn't wow. he? Wow, he's everywhere. Was it really? Yeah. I read it when I was reading about Terry Thomas you know, the other week, you know, because he's oh Richard Bryer's cousin. Richard Bryer's second cousin or first cousin. He's definitely keeps popping up, doesn't he? And then talking of um, popping up, Barbara um, and Tom reappear from their afternoon delight, looking nicely shagged out, and cheerily bid Mr. Bailey good evening before seeing the moved windbreak and then verbally setting about this poor harangued man. He just gets all flustered and starts babbling about his rights, doesn't he? Oh, I see. I, I I I feel bad for him, even though he is quite annoying. But Barbara, Barbara says, stop moaning at the poor bastard, doesn't she? Mm. Barbara's not at her best in this in this episode at all. Apart from aesthetically, which she, oh, she, yeah. she really is. Um, <laughs> and Mr. Bailey says, run for it, Wally, it's a madhouse. <laughs> it's true. And we're back inside the Ledbetter's house and we see Jerry waiting for Margot. And there's a brilliant just little line where he says, what are you doing, darling? <laughs> he just has that afterthought. I best I best add the um, the compliment on the end. Yes. Uh, as he's waiting for Margot, uh, who's presumably doing her ablutions, mm-hmm. the impulsive goods burst in on poor Jerry again when he's mid gin poor and just go apoplectic again, don't they? <sighs> what can you say? They're just out they, of order. They are. They really are. And do you know what? I think. Margot keeps her cool really well in this in this scene, I think. Well, so he, does Jerry. Jerry takes charge and, and he insists Margot explain it and he tells the goods to shut up. Yeah. And Margot explains it eloquently. The Leadbetters are completely calm, although Jerry is annoyed, rightly so. Mm. And then Tom and Barbara realise, oh, we're at... Just jump to a massive conclusion. Yeah, but we, we get the redeemable bit again, though, where they, where they go, oh, shit. Well, I say redeemable, but then after we get the full round of good evenings, good evening, Tom, yeah. good evening, Jerry, then Tom, the cheeky says, uh, oh, fuck, I've swore again. Tom says, I expect you'd like us to stay to dinner. After all that? Yeah. After all that, all day? And then... Do you know what, yeah. Tom? No, I don't want you to stay for dinner. I want you to leave now. Yeah. Is what I would have said. Yeah, we've had enough of you. Go yeah. on. Come back tomorrow. When we've calmed down. 
Yeah. But they're, they're such even-tempered. Well, no, Margot isn't even-tempered, but they, in this situation, they're even-tempered and understanding yeah. of this farcical mix-up, aren't they? And um, the Ledbetters allow them to stay for dinner and the goods rush off to fetch some pea-pod burgundy wine for them to enjoy. Yikes. Um, I don't think the Ledbetters are keyed on it. They sort of tactfully say, well, it's not a table wine. No, it's not. It's not. A, I think Margot sort of... Um, Insist that it's just like a like a one. It's a one drinker, isn't it? She says it, it's not something that you can drink by the bottle. Yeah, especially if it looks like it did in last week's episode. I know, like Oof. sludge. Yeah, I, I just saw. Side note: I just saw something on Facebook earlier this mm. morning, and it was something you know where the Viz things come up, letters mm. to Viz. Yes, and it was uh, something about when it comes to wine. Why do we call them white and red? Because white wine looks more like sort of yellowy piss <laughs> is it just because it's not good form to say would you like a glass of red or a glass of yellowy piss which <laughs> is true it's not white is it it's not <laughs> but wine should never be the cover of the colour of Tom's um, Peapod Burgundy I no don't think. never ever be interested to know if anyone's made Peapod Burgundy because we did share a recipe on our Twitter feed um, that somebody in America had um, kindly supplied if you've made it and you'd like it um, perhaps you could uh Get in touch. Good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life, good life. And now, I think, really, everything up to this point has just been um, set up, hasn't it? It's just been exposition. It has. It has. For, this, for the next ten minutes of, of pure joy. Yeah, it's wonderful, because clearly the next scene, they are post-dinner and also paralytic. Yeah. We, initially, we, we're in the kitchen where we see Barbara and Jerry... And uh, immediately becomes apparent that they're shit faced, doesn't it? Yes. Trying to, uh, it was it was when I spotted Jerry loading the freezer with the pots um, before it was even mentioned. I thought, what? Why is he? What's he doing? And then it was quite clear that the both just hammered. Well, it's interesting that you noted it because even though I've seen this episode multiple times, mm. stupidly, I'm looking at him filling his freezer, thinking. Bloody hell, he's got a big dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's about five stories high, isn't it? I know, I was thinking, well, this is 45 years ago, and my dishwasher's like half the size of that. Mm. I, was Jerry, I was getting quite jealous of Jerry's dishwasher. Are you going to become a draftsman? I think I need to, yeah, especially <laughs> on his wages. I think if I had his wages today, it'd probably, it'd probably still be more than my wages. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> And then, of course, we get the, the flirtation because Barbara's flicking her hair, isn't she? Yes. He's, he, Jerry is um, obviously affected by the fact that Barbara is flicking her hair and he says... Brings out the beast in me. The, which is a great line, the way he says it. Because so, he says it, he delivers it with such a meek... Yeah. ...delivery, doesn't he? That it's like, yes. there's no beast there, it's just a no. sort of timid... Sexually frustrated man. Yeah. Jerry confesses he's always had a yin for Barbara. Mm. I don't know what a yin is. I thought it sounded just quite like a like a yearn. Like a yearn, okay. Yeah, I think so. But when she says, I'm a married woman, and he says, well, so am I. It's another <laughs> great line. But then actually, Jerry literally broaches the idea of wife swapping. He actually brings it up. It's been... Um, sort of hinted and um, in the background, unspoken, but this is quite blatant now, isn't it? He's, he's blatantly mentioned it. Well, I suppose Margot mentioned that it was on its way from Epson. 
It's obviously been sweeping the southeast and um, it's landed in Surbiton. I think Jerry's been eagerly tracking its progress from Epsom, <laughs> yes, he has. waiting for it to it, arrive. Urging it forward. <laughs> he's like he's like a man back in his nag in the race, isn't he? <laughs> come on, come on. Wife swapping, wife swapping. Well, thank you very much, Jerry. Yeah, so in the um, living room, Margot is busy trying to light a cigarette with a long holder, looking very elegant, but really struggling to to, to light the cigarette. Um, and Tom's sort of crouched down at the table, um, busy writing a note of apology to Margot. And I thought that this this scene was quite um, quite sweet, really, because um, it's where in a way, yeah, where Margot um, sort of admits that she thinks that she's quite silly. Um, and he's, he's, she's, she's tired of being the butt of the joke. Um, but then at one point she cries, um, I'm not a complete woman, Tom. Um, yeah. And Tom's like, what? <laughs> um, but she feels that she's, with having no sense of humour, she, she does feel like she's, she misses out on things. Um, lots of things go over her head. And um, at school she was called Starchy Sturgis. Um, just because she never understood the jokes. And yeah, I, I sort of had a, that feeling of, of, of Margot being quite vulnerable and... Mm, um, definitely. And she bared her soul, didn't she, really? She did. And I, I personally, I sort of felt a bit like, I'm fed up with people taking advantage of her and sort of just um, just expecting her to, to not grasp hold of what's going on. And, um, yeah, yeah she was, it was quite poignant. It is poignant. And it's, this is the genius of the writing for Margot. One scene mm. we've got her being a vicious bully. Yeah. A class um, bully, almost. And the next scene, she's so vulnerable that your heart goes out to her. Mm. And she does it brilliantly. I mean, clearly, as well as, well as uh, Barbara and Jerry, Tom and Margot are interplanetary at this state, aren't they? They are. Yes. They are gone. Tom declares he's going to go and get a sense of humour for Margot. I don't know how he intends to do that. Where from? <laughs> yeah, maybe out of the freezer. Yeah, it's big enough. <laughs> of course, and then he, he he comes and sort of perches himself on at the side of Margot, and he's he's almost sliding down her like a drain in his drunkenness yeah. at this point, isn't he? Admiring her very sexy neck. Yeah, he's like inches away from her face as well, and it's literally only disturbed by Barbara and Jerry laughing in the kitchen on their way into the living room. Well, that's when he panics and falls off, Which isn't sort it? Of breaks, yeah, it sort of breaks it up a little bit, doesn't it? Makes you wonder um, if, if there would have been a, a an actual kiss there if they hadn't been coming back, the other two. Yeah, yeah. And she says, Tom and I have just been talking. And Jerry replies, yes, that's what me and Barbara have been doing <laughs> as they're busy pulling cardigans on. Yeah. Oh, are they busy pulling cardigans on? Do you I'm think sure they're... there's like dishevelled cardigans, yeah. Oh, so your theory is they might have had a little bit of a snog? Yeah, I think so. Um, they just seem a bit dishevelled because the, uh, Jerry Jerry's very sort of done up in his in his bright red cardigan, mm. um, and it was like not and Barbara looked noticeably sort of like cardigan. But it might just be like sort of like drunken cardigan. Yeah, could have been falling off, but yeah. Cardigan shenanigans. So at this stage, I think um, the goods realise that they are absolutely plastered, inebriated to the state that they need to go home. Mm. And um, they're about to when Margot points out that the windbreak will will have to be moved again. 
because it's in the wrong place for the replanted fruit. Yes. It will have to have to be moved. Of course, Jerry has the bright idea to move it there and then, which is never going to end well, is it? It's not. Absolutely isn't. It's the kind of thing that is great when you suggest it um, in a state like that, but it's no, no you're right, it's never going to end well. Because Tom says, come on, Margot, this is a laugh, isn't it? And poor Margot... Oh, she's crying again because she doesn't understand why. <laughs> why? Why is why it? Why is it a laugh? And then, of course, predictably out in the garden, the three sozzled drunks are moving the windbreak and are staggering all over the place um, before dropping the windbreak on top of Margot's acker-built statue or whatever it yeah. actually is. It falls onto it and they all immediately look very concerned for, for their lives. Yeah, they fall silent, um, don't they, and look yes. shamefaced. Oh, the worst thing that could have possibly happened has happened. But, phew, Margot ends up laughing her head off about it. Well, yeah, she was watching them in bewilderment until that happened, and then she just creased laughing. And it was yeah. a brilliant, brilliant turnaround. I was glad that she laughed. Well, it wouldn't have been much of a finale to a sitcom. <laughs> if she just bollocked them, would it? <laughs> if she just got apeshit and stabbed them. Imagine she'd just gone, well, thank you very much, and stormed in, and then they roll the credits. The credits, no laughing, no audience, no clapping. Yeah, and Jerry, Tom and Barbara just go back to the goods for a menage a trois. Oh, my God. <laughs> Swooping cameras and brass. Oh, no. So that was the end of the episode. There's some interesting <laughs> things to pick apart that we haven't mentioned, one of which I think is the drunk acting styles of these four actors. Yes. Because what do you think? Drunk acting styles differ, and it's something that I've heard discussed on talk shows by actors, and they say how difficult it is to do legitimate drunk acting. Yes. People, when they are drunk, act differently, of course. Mm. And there's levels of drunkenness. And depicting drunk, I mean, they'll all be drunk to different levels as well, because they'll all have different bloody constitutions, won't they? Metabolisms. Yeah. yeah. But what I noticed was that Tom and Barbara's drunkenness was a lot more hammy. Yeah, and, Barbara, I thought, was very hammy. Yeah, they were all over the place drunk. Mm. And if anything, you'd expect them to be able to handle the peapod better than the neighbours. Yeah. Although the other two who were drunk, but not not as badly drunk, it didn't seem to me, Jerry and Margot, mm. perhaps they're more seasoned drinkers with their gin intake being so high. They're just topping up, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. There was no slurring of words from either Eddington or Penelope Keith, was there? They were just... No. Margot especially, I felt, um, was I don't know, it made it quite sort of like melancholy, mm. um, but it was like, a, I don't know, a realistic um, reaction and a realistic performance, I thought. Yeah, because she, was, she became that introspective drunk mm. that starts putting some real, real consideration into herself and voicing it, which she wouldn't ordinarily be so open or vulnerable yeah. yeah and i thought i could really get on with with margot when she's vulcanized because she's um yes she's quite uh, you know you can have a real conversation and get to know the real margot i thought that it was the most honest um that you've ever seen margot i think in all three series that we've watched so far it was the most um open version of, of margot i thought Mm. Yeah. And Jerry, because <laughs> obviously he just divulges all sorts. Yes, that's true. 
Um, the other interesting thing was the degree to which they were actually interested in each other sexually, because there was mm. definitely Jerry was was mad for it with Barbara, wasn't yeah, he? Blatant, yeah. Um, Tom, it was seems more opportunistic or just uh, organic. He wasn't he wasn't leching after Margot. He just happened to be sympathising with her, and then they became quite close. Mm. And it was just the, the drink talking, if you like. Yeah. When he was sort of talking about her neck and leering in. Um, Margot seemed briefly sort of taken with Tom when she said, oh, you can be very masterful. Yeah. Um, so a little bit there, but I didn't really think that Barbara had any interest whatsoever in the kitchen. It didn't come across as, no, as something I she was she in, just, up for. I think she just took it for what it was, like just drunken chit-chat. Yeah, she was just being being Barbara, being silly. You know, dishwasher, dish, dishwasher, dishwasher, yeah. dishwasher. And she did try to when when she when she sort of noticed that he was putting his pots in the um, in the freezer, she was quite happy to um, divert the conversation to to that rather than yeah. Oh, tell me more, tell me more, Jerry. <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> the only other thing I wanted to say was about Mr. Bailey because he played quite a, a heavy part in this role. He he, he seemed yeah. to me like a sort of working class Peter Bowles. From To the Manor Born. Oh, right, okay. He yeah. struck me as that. But uh, the, the most interesting thing about this chap I could find was that he, he voiced Creature in Harry Potter. It was his last acting role in 2009 before he died. Oh. So in addition to um, being Creature, he was also did lots of the voices in the mid-80s movie Labyrinth. Oh, right, okay. With David Bowie. He did The Worm on the Wall. Um, right. The Four Guards. And uh, also one of the goblins, I think. So I think he did a fair bit of animated work. And he was, you know, he did the scene. He was in Minder and Ever Decreasing Circles. And uh, I think he might... He was on the circuit. He was on the circuit, yeah. He did a load of those type of things. Um, and I thought he was quite good. He was. He was very good at the part. It, I find him irritating, but that usually means that he's done a good He's supposed job. to, I think. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't my MVP. Uh, my MVP was nearly Jerry for taking charge. Okay. But ultimately, it couldn't have been anyone but Margot for being vulnerable in front of Tom about her lack of sense of humour and all the sort of pathos. And it was quite heartbreaking, wasn't it? Absolutely. You know that I like to pick a character that pushes the story on a little bit. Um, and for me, this week, it was definitely Margot that did that. For the same reasons that you've just said, just seeing her um, open up and just finding a, a bit more out about the character as well. Um she she was she was just really honest and like I said vulnerable, which is not something that you see very often when it comes to Margot. But it was um, it was yeah it was nice to see. Shall we have a little trip over to Fashion Corner and have a look at the fashions on display in this episode? Fashion, fashion corner, corner, fashion corner, fashion corner, corner fashion, fashion corner. corner. Oh, dokie. So this week um, I wanted to mention first of all before I, before I slide straight in with two feet into into Margot um, fashion. Um, I wanted to mention Jerry in the kitchen when he's drunk with Barbara. Um, I've I, I mentioned before um, his red cardigan um, and he had a red cardigan over a shirt and tie combo um, which made me think of, have you seen that film with Tom Hanks called Mr Rogers? No, but I know of it. You know what I mean? He had a real Mr. Rogers look about him. Very sort of done up, um, bit granddaddy looking. Which, which, 
he didn't sort of sit right with the image of Jerry being man about town, de- um, leather jacket, um, Burby, Burby slacks. It, it felt like a bit more of a grown-up look, mm. which you don't often see, I don't think, with, with Jerry. But worth a mention because it was a, it was like the most orangey of red cardigans. Yeah, it was a bit loud. It was very loud, a very loud cardigan. Um, so yeah, I wanted to, to mention that. Um, Margot, um, as always, um, very elegant looking. Um, there's um, a scene early on where she's in like a green chiffon dress, um, looking very beautiful. It had like a crossover front and she had these big golden beads sort of alongside. Um, and then we see her a little bit later on um, and she, she, I think it's when she's with Mr. Bailey in the front room and then she's discussing the, leaving the letter on the pickaxe mm. um, and she's got she looks like she's been to a wedding not the worst yeah. thing um, but she's in like a duck egg blue dress and jacket with like a jade belt um, it's, uh, with, with gloves white silk gloves and then this hat with a veil which is so sort of dressed up um, I'd, re- I'd really like to know where she's been actually because um, if it's something like shopping she was just far too overdressed She's quite booby in this episode, I thought. She is. There's lots of boob on display. It's a certain cut of the um, of the dresses that I think make them, um, yeah, make it so obvious. Mm. Jerry had a suit, a new suit that we yeah. haven't seen before, didn't he? Jerry did have a suit, and it was like a thick pinstripe tartan-looking suit. Um, mm. Not one that we have, yeah, that we've seen before, um, which is nice. And then Margot had the dress on later on. It's like a sage green with slashed sleeves um, and, a, and a pink flower. She wears a lot of green and pinks and purples together, but she, she just rocks whatever she wears. Um, this looked more like sort of like lounging about the house kind of wear that, that Margot has on quite regularly. But yeah, it was a it was a it was a nice episode for for fashion this week. So what? episode are we on next week then it's the penultimate episode of series three episode six Christ. and it's called whose fleas are these Ooh, okay. self-explanatory they get fleas and they're blaming each other it's a little bit farcical of they are. like this one oh. who's brought the fleas margot gets the knickers in a twist so we'll look forward to that one Bravo, Jerry. so if you're listening along with us um, and enjoying what we're doing you can always check us out on twitter and instagram at saddle podcast um, on Facebook, you can find us by searching for Sado Podcast, and we have a website at www.sado.club where you can get more information or listen to the episodes. Get in touch with us and email us at sadopodcast at gmail.com. And please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And um, on the sado.club website, you can also subscribe to the newsletter or check out some of the blogs that Al and I have written about the show. And we'll continue to do so because it's not enough to be talking about this show <laughs> once or twice a week. We're also writing about this show and what we loved about it. So have a look at that. Yeah, it'd be great to hear from anybody that wants to get in touch. Uh, so we'll see you next week for um, episode six, The Fleas. Fleas. Find out whose fleas indeed these fleas are. Um, so thank you for joining us and we'll see you then. We will. See you later. I'll see you later.